0: G'day everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Australian Property Investment Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Christie David, and I run a mortgage broking business called Atelier Wealth. And we specialize in helping property investors start out and scale up their property portfolios with the view to build intergenerational wealth and making confident property decisions. Confidence is a big word that we use in our business. And I feel like this is one of the topics that I didn't want to skip across. Uh, when I was putting out this next episode of our podcast, and normally I do bring on a guest, however, it will be me solo today. And the reason for that is I was recently interviewed by Smart Property Investment podcast, uh, Smart Property Investment, the website Grace Ornsby, who's the uh, editor there, talking about this fixed rate cliff. Now, uh, you may have seen a few articles come out, so it's definitely getting a lot of media attention and traction around the fixed rate cliff. And what I've done is I've put together um, a a fairly comprehensive chart pack, so aggregated a lot of information. I've done a fair amount of research in this with the hope that we can take some of what I call maybe the fear-mongering, strip that out, insert the facts and the figures And then we really move uh, into an action game plan, which is if you're on a fixed rate, what do you need to know and what needs to happen next and i.e. what are your options as well? So I really hope that you get a lot out of this episode uh, and I'm really, really going to look forward to a lot of the clients' uh, questions that we do get off the back of this episode as well. So if we start at the beginning, uh, let's talk about this fixed rate cliff and why effectively is it called a cliff. Um, so I will include the, the link to the smart property investment uh, article here. But the numbers that I've gone through and had a look at is in uh, well by the end of 2023, we're going to see $158 billion worth of fixed rate loans come to an end. Now, we're talking about these loans that were really maybe – close to 2%, some under 2%. Uh, I recall at at one point we were doing loans around 1.79, 1.89, and if you got a 1.99% rate, you kind of felt that was a little bit heavy um, or or expensive, Uh, whereas now the benefit of hindsight is that was dirt cheap. And uh, when we talk about the number of borrowers this is affecting, uh, statistically it's 500,000 loans um, that are coming off their uh, low fixed rates. That's a lot of borrowers, and um, and in my in my capacity as a mortgage broker, I'm very privileged that I get to speak to a lot of banks, a lot of heads of maybe the economists or the heads of broker channels inside uh, the banks, and they were talking about this last year in terms of what keeps them up at night. It's very much a big problem, and we'll see which lenders have probably the biggest exposure around their fixed rate books as well. So let's just put it into perspective. This time last year, the cash rate is at 0.1%. 0. 0. Um, that was insanely low. And now we're looking at the cash rate being at 3.6% because we've just I recorded this after yesterday's RBA uh, rates decision as well. So where are we going with this? Um, if we kind of roll through here, what we've got is um, the projected expiry of these fixed rates. You can start to see that 2023, it's really... Um, it's really picking up in terms of the number of fixed rates. The chart that I've also got is the mix of owner-occupied versus the investor. Uh, I'm looking at the 2022. The investors rolled off a lot of those fixed rates as well, but 2023 still has a high percentage uh, off these fixed rate loans, and it looks like the changes in repayments, majority are going to be affected anywhere to 20 to 30% increase. Okay? We talk about owner-occupied the majority of those are 20 to 30 plus 30 plus. So when you take an owner-occupied home loan, and maybe there's there's a double whammy, you have your own property and you have an investment property, or you have a couple of investment properties as well. You add in extra expenses in terms of repayments by 20 to 30, maybe sometimes more or 40%. Expenses increase by 40% there's got to be some serious rework done because income is finite for most people. If you're salaried, um, self-employment, you may be able to tweak with your income. Um, But if you're on salaried PAYG income, your income is finite after tax. So something increases by 30%. That means something has to drop off to accommodate that as well. Now, when we've got rising household expenses, uh, utilities, fuel at one point was, was pretty high. Um, it starts to put the squeeze on and then you're looking at maybe what are some of those discretionary spends that we can start to lose. Uh, now I know Bernadette in her LinkedIn, uh, Feb, frugal Feb series just tried to find ways of stripping out the fat. Now we have done that as a household. We did that when COVID first hit with our business and our, uh, our household expenses. What is mandatory, what's what's non-negotiable and what could we strip out? and we've also done that exercise coming into 2023. So I highly recommend uh, that you do that now I probably should preface that this uh, this discussion that I'm going to have is general in nature not intended to give advice. However, I want to give some guidance and uh, and I will stand firm on that as well. Um, but if you do need uh, to seek guidance and, and pay a professional, I highly recommend you do that as well. When we look at um, the, the one of the big issues that we've got and it's being flagged is the debt-to-income ratio. Now, that's uh, what that means is people that borrowed at the absolute maximum they could a couple of years ago. So they, you know, obviously people stretch themselves. Borrowing capacities were really generous when you go back two or three years um, because what happens is when you get a loan and uh, the bank adds on what they call the assessment rate or that buffer, when they assess your rate uh, for future rate rises as well, and you borrow that, maybe the upper echelon of uh, your borrowing capacity, now we've added in uh, the extra rate rises. The current interest rates have actually exceeded what some people's stress test was. So it's gone into new territory for a lot of borrowers. Now, these banks, some banks have what we call a debt-to-income ratio. What does that mean in plain English? It means they take your income, they times it by about six. If it's above that, they generally won't lend. Now, when you look at some of these, um, some of the charts that we've got, some are looking at six to seven times, particularly for investors because some banks were pretty good on on negative gearing ad backs. But you can quickly see from the last couple of years as an investor, you've gone from being really hyper-positively geared to the pendulum swinging the other way that it's extremely negative geared for a lot of investors as well. Yes, I know rents have gone up. However, rents are not keeping up the same change to 10 consecutive rate rises as well. So what can you do about it? The, the real simple answer here is cash flow projections. So as a business, we do something like a cash flow forecast. So it's a 13-week rolling average cash flow. Where are we for the next 13 weeks? And it's month in, uh, week in, week out. So we kind of know that there's always got to be in above the line week in, week out. And when things get a little bit skinny, for example, when incomes come in versus expenses are going out, I would highly recommend that you do something like that to that effect for your own household expenses because when the rate when the expenses come, they usually come together. So council rates will come together, for example, or utilities bills will come together, or the car registration, for example. So it's kind of planning that out throughout the year that you're not caught off guard. It also does make sense to have a healthy cash flow Buffer. So, Scotty Pape calls it your buckets. For example, I think it goes back to basics for a lot of households, uh, which is we've had this wonderful period of low uh, low interest rates. We're now coming back into a very aggressive rate rise market. We've got to make adjustments and plan for those as well. Okay. When we have a look at um, the new loans, so when we're talking about the value of new loans that are fixed versus variable, you can very clearly see that the flavour of that month when we got into like 20, like the uh, proportion that were fixed, it just shot up through 2021. Like it literally just went peaked um, in 2020, 2021. And these loans that were written were written as a high percentage of fixed rate loans, you can start to see that really, um, the banks were really aggressive at it. And you can kind of, you can understand, and I've had this conversation with a lot of our clients, which is, hey, the RBA was explicitly saying we're not going to raise rates till 2024. And that's obviously a direction that a lot of brokers got, uh, for example, as well. And then suddenly you come into 2022 and 2023 and we're seeing just 10 consecutive rate rises, which is very contradictory. And I can understand why a lot of borrowers are either frustrated or angry. um, And I'm I'm definitely going to honour the sentiment. um, But at the same note, what they say they do versus what they actually do are two different things as we can clearly see and it's out of our locus of control. So I'm certainly not being tone deaf. We have a mortgage like everyone else. We've got investment properties as well just like everyone else uh, in terms of the loans that need to be repaid and we've just had to get on with it and find ways to, to get ahead of the curve as well. And that means making some hard decisions from a where do we spend and what do we spend that on as well. The next slide I want to take you through is lender exposure. Uh, and uh, this is kind of the data that I've been able to find publicly or, or through some of the bank reports as well. So let's go through step-by-step step on each of the banks and where their where they're percentage of fixed rate loans, and this will be pertinent if you have one, a loan with these particular banks. CBA, nearly 40%. Westpac, NAB was 37%, and ANZ at 35. Now, ANZ's numbers are pretty low because you go back into into COVID, they may have had good rates, but their turnaround times were atrocious. Um, So that's probably why they're out of the top big four. They probably have the lowest exposure. Macquarie Bank would be in there as well. But again, they didn't play the rate game, which is probably why their their percentages are currently lower than the big four, even though now Macquarie Bank has uh, really cemented itself as the number five lender in Australia. When we talk about what their what their exposure is, um, and we'll get to CBA in a minute because their data is public, but you talk about $53 billion that are coming out between July and December. There is a lot of work their retention team needs to do to keep those clients there. Now, that's obviously um, the opportunity for a lot of the CBA borrowers to then look at their situation and go, right, can we look to refinance? Do we vote with our feet, or do we stay with our current bank and maybe pay a premium to stay where you are? $48 billion for, for Westpac and NAB. So when you look at a bank's resources, um, banks are obviously trying to acquire new customers and we'll probably see in the second half of this year, my, one of my predictions is the refinance rebates uh, at the moment sit so anywhere from $2,000 to $4,000. I reckon they'll start to ratchet those up or try and offer something even more spectacular uh, with, with product bundling, for example, as well, um, maybe waiving some fees, um, but those refinance rebates are really causing a ripple in the market to try and acquire new customers as well. The biggest thing I want to share uh, here is um, when people have a fixed rate loan, and this was something that caught a lot of borrowers out, which was how much extra you're able to pay. And because you don't know with these banks, you don't get an offset account linked to your fixed rate loan. So here it's understanding what those abilities to make additional repayments were versus not having an offset as well. So if you um, haven't had a fixed rate loan year. I'm trying to understand the, the pros and cons. That's just one of the cons as well. I did mention about CBA. And again, it's, it's wonderful that they've made their data public. But you can start to see here um, that, that six months up to uh, December twenty twenty three, so the second half of this calendar year, uh, we're talking about cl- well, close to $50 billion worth of loans that are coming off that, um, that fixed rate expiry term. Again, low fixed rates. Um, borrowers are going to be in for a rude shock, and we'll get to the kind of shock factor in a minute. Um, but you can start to see here, you can you can understand why banks are getting nervous about the clients that are going to start to roll off because they've come off from nearly sub 2% to rolling onto rates that are going to be close to what we call you know, 5% plus. So if you're a borrower and you're going, well, what does this mean for me and my back pocket, let's have a look through currently what you're probably repaying on different um, loan tiers and then what those future repayments could and would look like as well. So generally say, look, we go somewhere in the middle here, 800 k loan, um, you're talking about, say, close to 2%, repayments around $3,400 thereabouts, okay? Now, through nothing you've done wrong, the rates have gone up and now we're talking about rate somewhere around the 5.2%. That's an extra uh, uh, $1,300 there. But if we have a look at those numbers, where do you get almost an extra $2,000 a month coming from? And that's what I'm talking about trying to have to, something has to come off for that to pick up as well. So we're talking about these repayments that are, that are sizable uh, as well. How can you try and get that rate as low as possible? Like I mentioned, one is a, um, is a refinance rebate. It's a bit of a sugar hit. You might get $4,000. It might cover the extra payments for a couple of months and cover all the outgoings to switch banks as well. So, yep, there's a win there. The other one is if your property value is kind of increasing, held that value as well, you can try and look at a lender that has loan-to-value ratio um, tiered rates. So what that means is some banks will do this under 80%. If the value is under 80%, they'll offer a better rate. Under 70%, they'll offer a better rate. Under 60%, they may offer a better rate as well. So trying to understand banks' valuations and then where your loan-to-value ratio ends up could also save you on the interest rate. The simplest one to do, though, is if you don't want to change banks and you you want to stay where you are, you have to call that bank and and really put the pressure on them. And this is probably where it's up to your broker. If you've used a broker or you go, you've gone directly through a bank, um, you've got to really kind of push the push the boundaries and say, so I want to speak to the discharges team. Uh, I'm looking at leaving because I've seen other banks offering this. I'm the existing customer. Why can't I get the rate that the new customer gets as well? And you've and it, it's a call that's in your best interest. So it could be the best call that you spend, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes on hold but you're going to be saving yourself a fair chunk of money as well. So please don't overlook that as a course of action as well. The next part that you want to do is then forward plan. So <clears throat> when, do your, when does your fixed rate expire and what does, what does that um, household cash flow look like at the time of fixed rates and start getting used to making those repayments today. So you might put the extra into either an offset account or to a savings account. One, you're building up cash flow, um, you're building a cash buffer for the future. And the second part is you get into the habit of making those additional payments so it doesn't come as a rude shock. And that's probably where um, you know, people are talking about, well, we haven't seen the full effects of these 10 rate rises. Yeah, it's maybe a lag factor because we've still got a lot of these fixed rates that people haven't felt the pain on as well. Now, 500,000 borrowers isn't going to change the game for the Australian economy. However, that's still a good subset of Australian mortgage holders that haven't felt the full brunt of 10 consecutive rate rises as well. Jumping to the next one, so you're talking about the extra repayments and, and, and what that means to a household cash flow as well. So if we look here in the AFR, uh, had this report that came out. So 15% of borrowers will be pushed into uh, negative cash flow. Now, I don't know how they've got that data, for example, but where it impacts some borrowers is, yep, they borrowed to the absolute maximum that they could, uh, and they've got an investment property, and now that investment property is taking far more cash because the rent, you know, rents have gone up, but not to the tune that it's covering and washing its face. That's one. They've had a change in circumstance, and this is quite often where um, you know, two incomes now becomes one because maybe we've had a child, another child, for example, or worst case, we've had a redundancy. We've seen a lot of the tech layoffs recently as well. While there's other industries that are crying out for, uh, for recruitment and employees, others are... Um, Downsizing and the tech industry is, um, is certainly leading the way on that front as well. And then it's the time to, time to then find a replacement role as well, especially at those incomes. And that becomes a real challenge for those niche roles. The beauty with redundancy is that you do get a payout. So hopefully that can kind of cushion some repayments for the future. So again, it's being wise about where that cash goes and how it's used as well. But we talk about, um, a third of borrowers will have impact. To their cash flow by 40%, um, I can certainly say that small businesses are feeling it. So when I talk to some of the local businesses, um, you talk about some of the discretionary spend, um, nail places, hair salons, um, cafes, for example, uh, lawn mowing services, florists. These are some of the businesses that I've just come into contact in our local area and having chats, and they, they can certainly feel the. The downward trend in discretionary spend because they are effectively discretionary spending as opposed to, um, supermarkets where we just have to eat to survive as well. So, um, gym memberships are another one where, you know, if it's not, if it's not mandatory and opt out, people opt out as well, which I guess it's sensible, but, and, and it's having the, um, it's having an unintended consequence of 10 consecutive rate rises. However, people are doing what they need to, to survive. So really when we're talking about where, does it, where have the rates been and where are they at the moment, I did this uh, with Nate Condy and my team uh, probably towards the start of the year. So even now these rates are probably outdated. Um, but we look back, owner-occupied rates, you can see here, we are looking at fixed rates at 2.19% for three years, which were incredibly sharp uh, as well. And now we're talking about 5.44 which blows people's minds when we talk with it just a couple of years ago there were uh, more than half of what they are at the moment. on average you're seeing close to two percent premiums on where the rates were from uh, two years ago to where they are today. So uh, the general the general outlook from everything that I've seen and read is that the cash rate is going to get to somewhere close to 4.1 percent so at 3.6, 50 basis points, that's two more rate rises that we've got, which sees April and May, and then it may be a wait and see approach as well. So in my uh, from my research, it's probably two more rate rises, so plan and buffer that in as well. Where it's probably hurting a lot of people is um, potential buyers coming into the market. So future borrowing capacity is certainly being impacted because of this aggressive rate rise. So every month that goes on and the rates go up, it's lowering people's borrowing capacities as well. And it does vary from person to person based on their income and the extra expenses. So it's, certainly, it's a, you're an area of concern that you've got trying to get into the market and the goalposts keep moving from your borrowing capacity perspective. Let's have a chat as well. From an investment perspective, um, those interest-only rates you're starting to see nudge. Uh, we've got the p rates at 5.49. We're starting to see some of those um, really kind of push into the sixes now as well, particularly for the investors that really stretched themselves and went to the non-bank lenders. They're probably raising their rates above uh, what the RBA is going. I'll give you an example. Pepper have moved above um, – Above the RBA's 0.25, and it's really irritating customers from those particular lenders. Um, and there's really not much you can do because they're locked in. And this is where this whole concept of a mortgage prisoner has come about. So, a mortgage prisoner is someone that cannot refinance. Like I said, they maybe had a change of circumstance, extra child down to one income on maternity leave, for example, or they just simply cannot resurface the loan based on the assessment rates being so high and the, uh, and their salaries and the rental income hasn't kept up to then um, enable a refinance. So if you are a mortgage prisoner, what you need to do is go kick and scream to your current bank to try and get those rates as low as possible. Now, we've caught it the mortgage cliff. Uh, is it a cliff? Uh, the word in itself is probably uh, a little bit um, dramatic for my liking. Is it an area for concern for households? Absolutely. Let's not deny the fact that if expenses have gone up by 40%, this is real talk. We need to do something about it. The best thing to do is uh, get on the front foot and make the call. Make the call to your mortgage broker. Make the call to your bank and flag it early. There's going to be nothing more stressful than missing a repayment because then, then you're on the back foot. So we're always um, encouraging, get on the front foot, have a discussion, try and figure out what you can do to control what you can control, look at your cash flow, see where you can make cuts early on. And the saying that I've got that I, I share with our team is state of wallet equals state of mind. And we all know that when we have our backs against the wall financially, we're not making the best decisions. So what we want to try and do is clear the noise, look at what's coming in, look at what's going out and plan for the worst. Not that we want the worst to happen, but let's go through a few scenarios as well. So I really hope that's helpful. We're going to share this uh, chart pack and the uh, article that we wrote for Smart Pro- Smart Investment Property with you. And if you've got any questions about your current mortgage, uh, we'll include a link to kind of book a time with us to have a chat as well. I hope that's been helpful. That's a wrap for this episode of the Australian Property Investment Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron. Talk soon.